The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Today I said special day. Um, this is your first time here if you've been here for years. As a church, we have journeyed or walked through several books of the Bible, and we're starting a new one today. We're starting the Gospel of John. And my best guess is it'll take us roughly a year to get through this book. Roughly a year. Um, we won't study just the Gospel of John every Sunday, but most of the time when you come, we'll be somewhere in the Gospel of John. We will not study every single verse, but I mean, probably 90% of the verses, and the only ones we won't study are the ones that repeat themselves. So there's a couple, there's a couple places, a couple passages where Jesus refers to himself in a certain way, the vine, the branches. Once we've covered that once, we probably won't do it a second time, but that would be it. Those would be the only ones that we won't cover, and it'll take us about a year to get through it. I'm excited about this journey that will go on for this reason. The Gospel of John has a very specific purpose. It was written by John, the apostle, and John had a perspective about Jesus that we can't have. John was one of Jesus' inner three. Peter, James, John. The inner three. Jesus took these three men and spent more time with them than he did any of the other disciples. He poured into them more. They got to see more than anyone else has ever got to see of Jesus. They knew him. They knew him intimately as a friend, as a teacher. They ultimately know him as their Savior and their Lord, as the Son of God. They knew this man. They saw things that we can't possibly fathom. They saw it. They experienced it. John was in with Jesus. And as an old man in about 90 A.D., so as an elderly man, John set out to write an account of the life of Jesus. We call that a gospel. An account of the life of Jesus. Now, here's what John had going for him. He had Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who wrote decades earlier, gospel accounts, accounts of Jesus' life. I I don't know that he had them right in front of him, but he was aware of what had already been written about Jesus. And I can't imagine as he reads this going, that's, that's an interesting perspective there, Luke, who didn't ever walk with him. I'm glad you're telling this story, but you left out this little detail because I was there. (laughs) Yet when you read the Gospel of John, it's probably the least descriptive. He he doesn't say, we did this and we did this and we did this and then we did this and we did this and it was awesome because I was... He doesn't do that. The Gospel of John has narrative, it has history, it has parables, it has some prophetic and apocalyptic literature, just a little bit of it, but really the Gospel of John, if you look at it from chapter 1 to chapter 21, it's a series of sermons. Sermons that Jesus preached, that John recorded, that all point to one thing, that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Son of God. John left out a ton of details, a ton of stories, a ton of things that he could have really elaborated on because of who he is and what he got to do. He left out a ton of them, and he goes, you know, uh, as I sit here as an old man thinking, what do I want to convey? What do I want people who are going to read this to know? I could tell them a lot of great stories, and I'll tell a few. But here's what I need them to know. I need them to know that this man, this Jesus, my friend, He was more than just a guy who did cool things. He was the son of God. 
And I'm going to write a gospel in a way that when someone reads it or hears it, they will be compelled to believe that he is the Son of God. Because John believed correctly that if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we will find life and life eternal. There's actually a theme, a theme verse, John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 31. If you read the verse before it, John's saying Jesus did a bunch of other stuff, a bunch of miracles, a bunch of other things. But these, these things that I chose to write for you, these things, what I put in here, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ. I wrote what I wrote so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that you would believe that he is the Son of God, and that in believing you may have life in his name. Oh man, how cool. I wrote what I thought you needed to hear to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in doing so you might have life, life abundant, life to the full, life eternal, all these beautiful things. I could tell you story after story after story. Read the very last verses of the Gospel of John. In John chapter 21, the very last verses, John says, to tell of everything that Jesus did, there are not enough books in the world. And John could have done that. Like he could have written book after book after book of what Jesus did because he was there. But no, he goes, I'm writing these things. I'm writing this so that you'll believe because when you believe, you'll find life. And church, that's why we're doing this. That's why we're journeying through this book. It's because I believe that the purpose for John writing it is still the purpose for us today walking through it that you might believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And in doing so, in that true belief and trust and faith, you will find life and life abundant. So that's why we're walking through this. And before we dive into chapter one, let's pray. God, may your purpose through your servant John, may it be seen here in our church over the next year as you teach us what it means to serve and to love, to worship and to obey your son Jesus, who is the Messiah. And in, through our trust and our surrender, through our faith and belief in him, we might all find the life that you have promised us. The life that is eternal and abundant and good. The life that we need in this dark and dying place. Lord, come and do as you will as we study this book. Move in our hearts and our minds as we seek to better know your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. That's what we're doing today. 1 through 18. Hear this. It's a poem. I love it. John is an old man. He sits there. He's like, how am I going to start this book? <laughs> I don't think that's how he talks, but I always do voices that aren't probably accurate. How am I going to start this book? Um, I, I've got... Luke's account, he talks about being born of Mary and Joseph. I've got Mark's account, he starts with the baptism. I've got Matthew's account, he does a genealogy. Hmm, how can I start mine? A poem. A beautiful poem. I believe an emotional poem from a friend writing about his Lord and Savior, his teacher and his friend. I, I believe it's an emotional poem. I'll write a poem about the Son of God who is the light of the world. I'll start my gospel with a poem. And that's where we're at today. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, 
I love it. He straight ripped off Genesis. <laughs> you know, he just went, how more prolific can I start than copying Genesis 1-1? <laughs> I'll just, I'll just, we're starting all over again. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. That Word is Logos. Logos is an interesting choice of terms to describe Jesus. In the beginning was the Logos. In Greek mythology, the Logos is this understanding or reasoning. But it also points to Jesus' divinity, his godness. So unlike the other Gospels, where they start by saying Jesus who is blank, John says Jesus who is God. But more specifically, not just God. I could have said, in the beginning was God. Uh, but he says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, was God who would allow us to understand God. He was the one who would show us and allow us relationship with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So Jesus was with God. They're one and the same, yet two individuals. And the Word was God. Oh, wow, that's the Trinity stuff. So the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three, yet one he was with God in the beginning. They're eternal. They're, they were there before everything else. What a way to start a story. In the beginning was God, the one who helps us understand God. He was with God. He was God, and they're eternal. I mean, that, that's a ramp-up way to start a story. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He is the creator I like the way Paul says it in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Maybe a little bit better. If you want to make a reference note in your Bible, Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says the exact same thing. For in him, that is Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and are for him. That's, that's the part that I love that Paul adds. Not only is he the creator of all things, he created all things, including us, for himself, for his own delight, for his own glory. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He didn't just create and step back and say good luck. He created and steps into and now holds together. This idea of the word, of God, um, it's important, and Colossians helps, for me, paint a picture of a magnificent God, a creator, sustainer God. We call it theology, what we know to be true, what we understand about God. Jesus is the creator and the sustainer. And when we start to understand that, we start to see him for who he truly is. He's not just a good teacher. He's the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe. That's big. And that's where John starts. He's eternal. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. Verses 4 and 5. In him, in Jesus was life. Now that's another picture of his deity. Only a deity can create life, can create life from nothing. So in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus was the light of all mankind. That light, it shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness is a real thing. 
when we sit in darkness, we're immediately aware of a couple things. How alone we feel. You're still sitting next to the person you were sitting next to a few moments ago, but in the pitch black, you feel alone. You feel vulnerable. You feel isolated. But you're hidden. If you were to be forced into complete darkness for an extended period of time, you would literally start to go crazy. The sensory deprivation would start to cause you to believe and to see and to think things that are not true. Darkness is powerful. We can see it in our world today, the effects of darkness. We can see it, the craziness of our world, the terror that is in our world, the brokenness, the poverty, the pain. These are all aspects of the darkness. The darkness that pervades our entire world, and it's real. But Jesus came as the light, the light that would overcome the darkness, the light that would break through the darkness, the fear and the terror and the poverty and the hopelessness, the death. Jesus came to overcome the darkness. And John wants us to see that he is the light of the world. He is the hope of the world. He is the one who came to crush the darkness. John wants to start his story by telling us that Jesus is the light, the light that will overcome all darkness. But John is also aware that not everybody loves the light. Not everybody wants to bask in the light. John chapter 3, if you skip ahead, verses 19 through 21, John makes this clear. He says, this is the verdict. I've looked and I know this to be true. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Not everybody embraces the light. Not everybody sees the light as hope. Not everybody wants to step into the light. Why? Because when you step into the light, the evilness of who you are is exposed. Your sinfulness is exposed. The rottenness, the, the darkness, the things you want to hide, the things that you do place in dark places that are exposed. So not everybody wants the light. At least not those who love evil. But those who look around our world and see the evil and go, I don't want that. I don't want the things of this world. I don't want what that has to offer. I don't want that. Those who look around the world and see the evil, then we have hope. The hope is in the light. But John is clear that some will reject the light. Back to chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist, not John the author. So John the Baptist, he came 
as a witness to testify concerning this light, so that through him, through John, all might believe the light. He himself was not the light. Don't get that confused. He's not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And in fact, he was in the world, and, through, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him as the light. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. What John's talking about here is the fact that Jesus was a Jew and he came first to the Jewish people and his own people rejected him. The world was not ready for the light. His own people who were waiting for the Messiah, the hope, were not ready for the light. They rejected him. But then there's a swing and a switch. The last few verses talk about those who received the light. Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Those who believe that He is the Messiah. He is the light of the world. He is the hope of the world. Those who believe in Jesus. And John will lay out three things. Three things that happen when one believes that Jesus is the Son of God. When one believes that He is the light of the world. When one believes that He is the Messiah. There's three things that belief in Jesus will bring. The first one is this. Those who believe in Jesus become children of God. They become children of God, verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, they become children of God. A right, restored relationship with God the Father. We were created to be his children, but sin messed all that up. And so belief in Jesus Christ allows us to become, once again, children of God. It happens through this process of a new birth or a rebirth. John chapter 3, we'll talk about that. So I'm just going to kind of leave that one there. But belief in Jesus allows us to become children of God. The second thing that belief in Jesus does is it allows us to experience the fullness of grace. Belief in Jesus allows us to experience the fullness of grace. Now get that, the fullness of grace. Verse 14, the word became flesh. God became flesh. God became human. Um, in Roman and Greek mythology, you had a lot of gods who dropped down out of their clouds or whatever, and they put on a mask, and they walked around the earth, and they faked it. They faked being human, but they never became human. Um, John is wanting us to know that this is not what Jesus did. He didn't come down and fake it by putting on a human mask. He came down and put on flesh. He became human, fully God and fully man. He made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling refers to a tent, a temporary dwelling. He came and he set up a temporary residence here on this earth. About 33 years is what we think. Um, but it was never intended to be permanent. He was always going to return. He was always going to go back to sit at the right hand of God the Father. But he put on flesh and he came and he literally dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. The one who came with grace and and truth. These are powerful things that Jesus brought to this earth. Verse 15 through 17. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Just a beautiful way of saying this. Uh, even though I talked before, you knew Jesus. He uh, actually is better than me because he was before me. He's eternal. He's got, that's just a beautiful way of saying he's the man. 
So I came to tell you about the man who is amazing. You need to listen to me. Out of his fullness, we have received, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. What John is saying here is that from the beginning, God has given grace. When he gave Moses the law, he extended a form of grace. But the grace that the world knew prior to Jesus was not the full grace. Jesus came and he gave grace in place of grace. Grace on top of grace. Grace and more grace and more grace and more grace. In Jesus, when we believe in him, we experience the fullness of God's grace. He takes this little bit of grace that comes from believing the law. He takes this little bit of grace that comes from obeying rules. He takes this little bit of grace that comes from you being good. He takes that little bit of grace and he goes, no, I replace it with my full grace, my fullness that comes through belief in my son, Jesus Christ. You want to experience the fullness of God's grace. Grace in place of grace in place of grace. You want that? You got to believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, they came through Jesus Christ. It's the real deal. It's a friend talking about his friend, talking about his friend who just happened to be the son of God. He said, if you believe in my friend, you will become children of God. You will experience the fullness of his grace if you believe in my friend. And then finally in verse 18, since this is supposed to be a poem, you're supposed to read it straight through. This is supposed to be the crescendo. This is supposed to be the big conclusion. This is the big finish. I encourage you to go back and read the first 18 verses straight through and just see what John is painting, this beautiful picture. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me, let me write in such a way that you might believe that he is the son of God who has been since the beginning, who created all things and all things are held together in him. Let me tell you about my friend who is the light of the world and in him darkness will be crushed. Let me tell you about my friend who if you believe in him, you will become children of God. Let me tell you about my friend that if you believe that he is the son of God, you will experience the fullness of God's grace in a way that you could not possibly imagine. And then he finishes in verse 18. And it would be good. It would be a great poem to stop there. Like, through belief in him, I get to be a child of God. I get to experience the fullness of God's grace. What else? What else can I? What else? What else can you give? Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. It's a true statement. No one's ever seen God in his fullness. But the one and only son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship of anyone with the Father, he, Jesus, he's made him known. The third and probably most profound thing for those who believe in Jesus is they're able to know God. For those who believe in Jesus, that believe he is who he says he is, believe what John is trying to write, for those who believe in Jesus, they earn the right to become children of God. They experience grace in the most full way. And they can say, we know God. Jesus says it himself in John chapter 14, verse 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Church, I know a lot of people who know a lot of stuff about God. I do. I, I, I run with people who are highly educated about God, highly educated in theology, stuff of knowing about God. 
They, they know a lot of facts. They could win some trivia stuff, like hands down. Their Bible trivia is on point. They know a lot of facts about God, but they don't know him. They don't know him. They try and understand him. They try and put him in a box. They try and create an, an agreement with him that says, I, like, I know your promises. I know the truth about you. I know some of your goodness, but I don't know you. I don't intimately know you. And the reason I don't intimately know you is because I do not believe that your son Jesus is God and I have not fully surrendered to him. I do not fully trust him. I do not place him as Lord of Lord and King of Kings. I actually still have many other gods that I worship, talking about the last few weeks here, maybe talking about idols. He is not Lord of my life. He is one of the teachers in my life. I consider him to be a good dude, one that I probably want to hang on to, and one that might just get me into heaven someday. But I do not believe in such a way as to fully trust, fully obey, fully follow, fully love him. But if you did... If you believed in Jesus, then you would know God. Because if you have seen Jesus, then you have seen God. And as the band comes back up here, church, you can know a bunch of stuff about God, and it makes you feel comfortable because you're like, yeah, he's this dude in heaven with this beard and a rocking chair and a cane. I think maybe a cane. I don't know. But here's what he does. He just sprinkles goodness all over this world, and whenever something bad happens, we ask him to come in and stop it, and whenever something good happens, we give him credit for it. He's just, he's up there, and he's doing his thing, and I know him. Do you? Do you know him? Well, Todd, you said yourself, if I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then I know him. So, yeah, I know him. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Do you? Bro, don't step on my toes. Like, don't come after me talking about my faith. Like, that, that ain't cool. We're, we're all brothers and sisters here. We're all in church. Like, go talk to someone else about whether they believe in Jesus. Let me ask you this. Do you know God as your Father? That, re that refers to the intimacy. Do you know God as your father? Do you have that kind of relationship with him, like a father and a child? Is that how you know God? If you do, then that is through your belief in Jesus Christ. If you don't, then I question your belief in Jesus Christ. Do you know God as your father? Second, have you experienced the fullness of his grace? Todd, he blesses me every day. Of course I've experienced his grace. Like, I look at, I got a car, I got a job, I, I, God is blessing me. No, no, no. Have you experienced the fullness of his grace? Have you experienced him in such a way as to go, I am broken and messy and gross, yet he loves me. His grace is sufficient for me. I need nothing that this world offers because I have him, and in him I find hope and life and trust. That's the fullness of his grace. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe in him, if you trust, follow, obey, love, surrender, place as Lord Jesus Christ, then you are a child of God and you will engage God in that manner. You have experienced the fullness of God's grace and trust me, you want that and you know God. If those things are missing, it's okay. John wrote this book for you so that you might know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and by believing in him, fully trusting, fully surrendering, fully believing, you might have 
all these things. So today as we respond, I want you to wrestle with that. Do you believe? And we're going to wrestle with a bunch. So, I mean, it's, it, this is going to be a journey. I just want you to start it today. I want you to engage in this journey today, this journey of belief, because that's the purpose of this book. But John did a beautiful job of kind of laying it out for us, what that belief gives us. And I want it, and I want it for you. So today as we respond, if, if you want to talk through that, what belief in Jesus looks like, I'll be up here, pastors will be up here, our prayer team will be up here up front during our response time. You can come talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about that. But, but here's the other thing. As a church, um, I want to be a church where it's okay to admit that we're not perfect, because none of us are. And I want to take it a step further. I want to be a church that's okay to admit that we're broken. And here's what I mean by broken. We need God. That's all I mean. When I, when I say broken, we can admit that we need God. We need him in some way. You may appear to have it all together, but you don't. I want to be a church where it's okay to admit that we're broken, but then also know that it's not okay to stay that way. And the only way to fix some of that brokenness is to approach God, to ask him to step into our circumstance, to step into our life, to work. And the best way to do that is through prayer. So that's why we end every service the way we do, church. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just wanting you to understand this. The reason why we do the worship at the end and not the beginning, the reason why we respond like this is so that people who are broken, and I believe that that is all of us, can come in and can experience the grace, the power, the relationship that comes through Jesus Christ and can be made whole. But I really do think you have to respond. I think you have to respond. I think you have to literally say, God, I cast my burdens and my anxieties upon you because you care. I give you what I cannot do for myself, and I ask you to step into my life. And one of the best ways to do it is to come forward and let one of our pastors or prayer team pray over you. This really should be a place that's full of activity on a weekly basis, but the reason that it's not is because we get scared. We go, man, if I walk up there, they're going to think I don't believe in Jesus. Hey, guess what? Literally, the only reason you would walk up here is because you believe that Jesus can do something. You see the silliness of that? Literally, the, the only reason you would is because you believe Jesus can. It, it's when you sit and you don't do anything, you're going, I don't know, that would make a difference anyway, and I'm sure not going to make a fool out of myself. So just, just understand that. Don't be afraid. Let this be a place, let this be a family where we expect people to need Jesus in their life. Please. So let's respond to him today. Let's respond to the word. Let's respond in prayer and in worship. And God, I pray that you govern that response with your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that you would move in our lives, that we would see your word for its truth, and that it would cause us, it would affect in us a change that allows us to see you, Jesus, as the Son of God, as the Messiah, and that by believing in you, we would earn the right to be children of God. We would experience the fullness of your grace, and we would know you, God the Father. Let us all believe in Jesus for those things and let our lives be radically impacted. Let us find the life that is promised through belief in you, Jesus. Come and let your Holy Spirit minister to us right now as we turn our eyes to you. We turn our face to you, Jesus, to come and be our Lord and Savior. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and respond to him.